Thank you for listening to the Prairie Oaks Pulpit Podcast. This is a recording of our Sunday morning sermons. I hope it is a blessing to you and contributes to your spiritual growth. Thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, supporting this ministry. God bless. Now let's get to the sermon. Okay, you can start turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 4 if you want. Uh, We'll kind of... We're continuing our series through Romans, and I have to say I've been learning a lot, and a lot of it's just slowing down and, and seeing how the, uh, the Apostle Paul is explaining our salvation. You know, when I was a kid, which is when I got saved, I was 11 years old, and I, I wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed anyways, but as I got saved, I didn't need to know it all. You know, I just knew that I was a sinner and I needed rescued. I felt an emptiness I needed filled. I, was a, I knew enough to know I was a sinner. I needed forgiveness. So I, I knew those kinds of things. And I knew that Jesus was the one I needed. And so I asked Jesus to save me. Come in, fill me up. And he did. And As I've progressed from those days, when I was drinking the milk spiritually, I've continued to grow and learn, and and I'm thankful for that. And that's what, you know, the Apostle Paul and the pastor of the Hebrews and and others challenge us to do, is to, you know, graduate from the milk and milkshakes and cookies and start growing with meat of the Word and, and to realize that there's a lot more to know. You know, um, it's one of the marvels. It's, it's simple enough that a child can be saved, but it's deep enough that the, the greatest minds have wrestled to understand what God did when he died that day on Golgotha and rose again the third day and all that he has still planned for us. And so the book of Romans is one of those places. And so the theologians, they love the book of Romans. And, and to be honest, I was a little intimidated diving into this. But as we've worked our way through it, I've been learning. I'm not learning enough. I'm not even learning at all by far. Still got a lot more to go, right, Brother Gene? But we're, we're working together through this. And we've seen where, you know, last week we saw where God demonstrated his righteousness in that he, he worked a plan with himself as God, both the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to prove, to demonstrate his own righteousness and that he would punish sin, but still be able to, in mercy, declare righteous his sinners, those men and women who've fallen short. And we saw how he did that at the cross. And so God's righteousness in Christ being transferred to us. Now, today we're going to talk a little more about that transfer. And there's a fancy word that we're going to use, and I'll explain a little bit more, but you'll see it translated in different ways. You'll see it translated as the word count or accounted or imputed, credited. There's a lot of different words that can be used on this, and The Apostle Paul is going to use the example of Abraham to explain. So we're going to look at, 
Romans chapter 4, and we're just going to read the first eight verses. And if you would, out of respect for God's word, would you stand with me? What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. For to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Let's pause for prayer. Lord, we're just thankful for the time in your word. And we thank you that you stirred in the heart of the Apostle Paul to, to, to preach this letter. And, and, and little Tertius, who, who's, who wrote it down for our learning. I mean, he wrote it to the Romans, but you preserved it through time so that even we would be able to look over their shoulder and learn these treasures, O oh Lord. We thank you for... Just your Holy Spirit who shines the light in the dark cobwebs of our minds and hearts that we might know and see Christ. I pray, Lord, that you do that work in the children's chapel as well, Lord. That the lost would be saved, that lives would be transformed, that your name would be praised. We pray for revival, O Lord. I need revival. Our church needs revival. Our community needs revival. Our country needs revival. We ask you, Lord, to work. Work in us first. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, and for His kingdom. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So now one of the things that we have to remember is that the Apostle Paul wrote this And this letter he wrote to a group of people he'd never met, or for the most part he'd never met because he'd never been to Rome. Uh, So this is kind of his introduction. And as we've seen, if you want to know about Paul, then you want to know about Jesus because that's all he really talks about. He doesn't talk about himself. He talks about Jesus. And so he's been talking about Jesus. But in the same time, he also is an excellent teacher in that he knows the questions that people are going to be having. And so he'll answer some of those questions as we go through the, this letter. You'll hear him. He'll say, well, what about this? Because he knows that someone in the crowd is going to be asking that question. Now, it may not be you, and it probably wasn't me that asked the question, but he's answering questions that would arise. And we just kind of get to go along for the ride. And sometimes we find that maybe we should have asked that question, and we can learn a lot if we listen to the answer. But in this case, he says... So after he's been describing how we are saved by grace through faith and, and the people in that congregation that were, grew up Jewish and trying to obey the law and everything, they're like, well, what did they do in the Old Testament? And I kind of remember as a kid hearing, and I was like, well, how were they saved in the Old Testament? And the Apostle Paul says, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Here's my answer. And that's where we pick up. He says, 
So you're asking about Abraham. Abraham's an Old Testament individual. And so they're like, well, what did Abraham find out? Was Abraham justified by works? And he says, no, no, not. He doesn't have anything to boast about, especially not before God. Because what does the scripture say? And that's one of the things I like about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul preaches from the Bible. Now, his Bible was a little shorter at that time. It was Genesis through Malachi. But thanks to him, we've got a lot more along the way since then. But he goes back to Genesis. And, and if you want to look at it later, I would encourage you to. In Genesis 15, verse 6, it will say, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, he knew most of his people knew the stories probably better than you and I know the stories because they spent more time in synagogue school than we spent in Sunday school. But in synagogue school, they would know what that story is about. It was there where God had already made promises to Abraham that if you leave your family, your country, and your security and come follow me, then I will make a nation of you and I will bless you. And And you will be a blessing to all the families on the earth that I just scattered at Babel. And and Abraham packed up and left, went on a thousand mile journey on foot to follow God. And as he, God just kept coaxing him along with promises. And in Genesis 15, God says, I am your shield and I am your great reward your exceedingly great reward. You remember that, right? And that's because, well, Abraham had just ticked off one of the superpowers of the day by beating them up in the dark and turned down a whole bunch of money because, well, God is going to reward me, not you, Sodom. That was an important lesson there for him and us. And so then he's sitting there and and God says, I'm your shield. I'll protect you from the superpowers. And I'm your reward. I'm better than all the money that Sodom and Gomorrah can give you. And Abraham says, but I don't have any son yet. And I need a son if I'm going to be a nation, a father of a nation. And God takes him outside and says, look up. Can you count all the stars? No, neither can you or I. We're still still counting. And God says, so will your descendants be. And that's where verse six kicks in. Abraham said, not verse six in Romans four, but verse six in Genesis 15. Abraham believed God and God accounted it for righteousness. He declared Abraham righteous. And it just a little verse there. And to don't, don't think I'm, I'm criticizing the word of God, but Paul really brags on Abraham's faith at this point. But the reality is Abraham was still kind of struggling. And he said, well, how do I really know? And God says, well, I'll show you. And in the rest of chapter 15 is a really weird story. That's your teaser. You get to read it later on. But it was to remind Abraham that God was going to keep his promises. We have blessed assurance in that. And that God couldn't promise by anything bigger than himself. And that's what he did that day in Genesis 15. And Abraham believed him. He was already an old man. 
he was all, his wife was already old. They didn't see how humanly, it was, it was impossible humanly, but he believed God. And that's what God was looking for from Abraham. And that's what God was looking for from us as well. And so God, and I like that word there in, in our, uh, in our Greek text here in, in Romans chapter four, verse three, it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was reckoned to him. It was credited to him. That's our key word for today. And it, it's funny because it is the same word in verse three, verse five, verse six, verse eight, verse 10, verse 11, verse 22, verse 23, and verse 24. I may have missed one, but there's a bunch of times that verse shows up in these, in these verses. And, and it's a word that it, in a lot of cases, it's, it's an it's a, a accounting term. And anyone ever else ever work in like a store or had to ever do inventory or things like that? It's kind of where it comes from. It's what's in your inventory. Because I my first job off the farm was in a grocery store. And we had inventory that you had to keep moving, or it disappeared in the basement and it was still down there. It counted, but it wasn't ever going out, it didn't seem like. And but it was accounted as a part of our inventory. And in this case, it is a matter of Abraham was credited by God to have righteousness. Now, the reality is, is he had none because he's a sinner. You've sinned, I've sinned, he'd sinned, all of us have sinned except for one. And that one exception is Jesus of Nazareth. He had righteousness. He has perfect, complete, full righteousness. So much full, perfect, infinite righteousness that God accredits to those who trust in Jesus that righteousness. Glory. That's what we need. Because if anything is in your inventory, it's sin. And you don't got any righteousness. Your righteousness is nasty. And so instead, God, who keeps the books, it's called the Lamb's Book of Life, He takes that sin out of your inventory and puts it upon Jesus. And He paid the penalty for that sin on the cross. And that righteousness, perfect righteousness that he, that he earned in his earthly life, he credits it to your account. Full, perfect righteousness. And we're going to talk a little more about the, how full and perfect it is. But this is the point in which we talk about this word in the, in the, in the Greek. It's, it's used in many different ways, but one of them is in this picture of the inventory. Your inventory was in the deficit. You were in trouble. Debt you couldn't pay. And by crying out to God in Christ, there's a transfer that takes place. And your inventory goes from full of sin to full of righteousness. Why? Because God is gracious. And that's where verse 4 comes in is that of works, the wages of sin is death. So it wasn't of anything we earned, but it's as grace. 
It's his grace that he gave to us because all our work had done is earn a debt. And verse five goes on to say then, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. And if you're here last week, you remember we talked a little bit about that because in Proverbs 17, we talked about that God doesn't justify the ungodly, nor does he condemn the guiltless, except he did both so that he could forgive us. And that's why we unpacked that last week when we were talking about God demonstrating his justice in that he wouldn't ask anyone else to suffer unjustly. He did it himself. That's why the deity of Christ is so important in our doctrine. Some people think doctrine is a dirty word, but it's a very important and beautiful word when it reveals Christ. And so God himself took that for us. So he justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness, just as David also describes. And so now you realize, oh, this is the second Old Testament person that he's bringing up. That's because he's unpacking it for us, making sure he's going to use two really good examples to make sure we understand that the Old Testament saints were saved by faith in what God was going to do. And you know, David's a pretty good example. And again, this goes back to, I don't know how much time you've spent in Sunday school, but the guys and and girls in in synagogue school, they knew all about David. Because most of us, we know, well, David is a man after God's own heart. We figure he had a little halo over his head all the time, right? And no, he... That's the, like the nicest thing that's ever said of David in the scriptures because the scriptures give us a very transparent view at times of all of its people. And David, he was a man after God's own heart. He wrote many of the Psalms. He was a hooligan at other times. He was bad. And so some of those Psalms were written at those times. Psalm 51, he had just murdered his friend to steal his wife to cover up adultery. This sounds like a soap opera, a bad soap opera. And that's David, the man after God's own heart with the halo. He was a human being. He was a sinner like me. But for the grace of God, I would do the same. And so... Psalm 51 is written where he cries out to God for mercy. He doesn't list off the good things that he'd done. because He knew they were worthless compared to what he had done. Wrong. And so he just cries out on God's goodness based on his mercy. And Psalm 32, which is the one that the Apostle Paul is about to quote here in Romans 4. Because again, Apostle Paul, he liked preaching from the Bible. Psalm 32 is what we think is the effect of having cried out like he did in Psalm 51. Where he says, blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven and whose iniquities are covered. Blessed is the one to whom God will not impute sin, who will not inventory all their sin upon that person. You see where he's going with this? Because David, 
You know, if you just, if you stood, didn't know the Sunday school stories and just thought about the giant and all that, you might think, well, he was a pretty good guy, but not good enough in God's sight. And then when you read the rest of the stories, you know, he wasn't that good of a guy anyways. But what he did have was he had a repentant heart who trusted in God and that God was going to one day pay the price for all those sins so he could forgive David, so he could forgive Abraham, so he could forgive you, so he could forgive me. Because God in his mercy is willing to justify the ungodly if they will trust in Christ. The sinner who believes that Christ is his good. The only good I have is what Christ gives me. And then uh, I didn't read the middle part of chapter 4 because he then begins to, to go through some more questions that, that we don't have time to unpack all the answer of. But the short answer is, is they're like, well, what about circumcision? You know, what, that was kind of a big deal back in Abraham's day. Is that still a big deal here? And, and Paul says, well, let's go back to Genesis. And he says, read it in order. Don't just pick the stories, but read it in order. And he says, you'll see that God declared Abraham righteous by faith before he told him to get circumcised. He says, so he was actually declared righteous while he was still a Gentile, which if you're a Gentile, that's a good news. That means we don't have to become Jews in order to be saved. And so he says, it goes back so that Abraham can be the father of all those who believe. And so, you know, when you were a kid, I don't know, have we been singing Not Father Abraham since we were, I know we were when we were kids. Was he singing it when you guys were, Brother Gene, were they singing Father Abraham when you were a kid? Okay, he says, yeah. So then all of us have been singing Father Abraham since we were kids. That's why we sing it, is because he was our prime example for trusting God. Ever, Isaac probably sang Father Abraham, right? And... <laughs> Thank you. Um, but Abraham is our example. And so he, the father of many nations, because we follow in his footsteps as we trust, just as he did in what God was going to do. Again, he was looking forward to that day coming. We look back at it already having been done. And I want you to know that is a really big advantage we have over Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and all of those guys. Because they were just looking forward to something that would, they didn't understand and completely know how it was going to work out. But it's a historical fact for us. It's as a, it is as historical of a fact as George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and last year. I mean, historical fact. And so, People like to, to debate what's real, what's not, and all that. But this is historical fact. Jesus died on the cross, rose again the third day. And there's significance in that. And that's why we get to, to verse uh, 23 through 25. I'm skipping over that last little bit there where uh, it's also not about the law, just so you know. Our salvation is not by us keeping the law. It's because Jesus kept the law, because Abraham didn't have the law to follow. That came later. Exodus is after Genesis, and that's where that is. 
Just got to read it in order, right? That's what Miss Valerie has us doing on Sunday nights. We're reading it in order. But there in verses 23 through 25, Paul begins to wrap up his, his argument here. So he goes back and he requotes there from Genesis. And he says, he was, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was credited to him. It was inventoried to him. Just because he believed, just because he asked for it. And verse 23 says, and it was not written just for Abraham's sake, not for him alone, that it was imputed to him. It was also written for our sake. Because it's also going to be righteousness imputed to us who believe in God, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. And this is interesting to me because as we've been working our way through this, he's been talking a lot about the significance of the cross. But he hasn't mentioned the resurrection, well, if it's for us, since Christmas. Because at Christmas, we went through the the greeting of Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 1, first five verses. That was the last time he talked about the resurrection. That God demonstrated that Jesus was the Son of God by the resurrection. And now he comes back to the resurrection here quite a ways later. And he says, that's, we believe in the God who raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up. It's, that's code for he was crucified, died. He was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. He was raised from the dead. He didn't stay dead. And that's significant for a couple reasons. One is because God said it would happen. One of the things that is woven throughout Abraham's story is that God would bring dead things back to life. By the time God got around to fulfilling the promise, because he was always on time. Abraham was in a hurry, but God was on time. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. Now you may say, well, Methuselah lived for 900. That's nothing. There's a, there's a millennium between Methuselah dying and Abraham being born. And a lot of cataclysmic events happened in that short time. So, no, they didn't live to 900 in Abraham's day. They lived to 50. He was an old man. And he was past the age of having kids. Sarah was past the age of having kids. And God gave them Isaac. That's one example of dead things brought back to life. But you also remember in the story of of Abraham and Isaac that when Isaac was old enough to know better, God told Abraham, I want you to take him up to Mount Moriah and I want you to offer your son as a sacrifice to me. And I don't know what went through Abraham's mind, but I probably can guess what went through his heart. Oh, but he got up early in the morning and obeyed. And him and his son went to the bottom of Mount Moriah, dropped off the servants, dropped off the donkeys. His son took the wood upon his back and he took the knife and the fire and they walked up the mountain. And Isaac says, 
to his dad, we got everything for a sacrifice, but where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb. God will provide for himself the lamb. But he went up that mountain knowing two things, what God had told him to do and what God had promised. And he knew that even if his son died that day, his son would be raised to life to fulfill the promises because God keeps his word. He brings dead things back to life. And that's a powerful lesson for me and I think for all of us. And if you don't know how that story ends, he got up there and God didn't have him kill his son that day, but provided a ram for sacrifice, a burnt offering. Because Abraham and Isaac both laid down their lives to obey God. Because as we're going to unpack a little later here, uh, not today, Abraham's faith proved itself that day. And I think Isaac's did as well. And that's going to be a lesson that James is going to preach at us uh, in the coming weeks. But God brings dead things back to life. And so that's one reason why Jesus His son, who did carry the wood up the hill of Golgotha and did lay down his life and died for you and for me. Because he also was paying the price of death. And here's the thing. He paid it in full. We know that because he rose again the third day. We don't have to wonder, did he pay enough? Because he was raised for our justification. It raised also for his justification in that it vindicated everything that he had ever said. And that is one of the uses of that word in the scriptures. But also for our justification, so we would know that the price was paid in full. There's no reason for Jesus to be dead anymore. He paid it fully and rose again so that we also would know that we have eternal life by believing in him because he raised to life never to die again because he paid it all and gives to us the gift of eternal life so that we, even though we die, we live. And some of us may never die if we are raptured up and taken to be with him. That's powerful. And that's the promises of God that Abraham and David tell us, believe it. Believe it. And so that's our invitation this morning as well. If our Miss Holly and musicians come and they're going to lead us in a song of invitation so that we take some time to wrestle with these promises. There's promises that, we're, that we may be struggling with. It may be the first promise of just asking for salvation, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life. It may be just wrestling with doubts. 
Sometimes we need to be reminded that we need to believe our beliefs and doubt our doubts. Because we get it backwards and we start believing our doubts and doubting our beliefs. But we really need to believe our beliefs and doubt our doubts. And that's where this is to remind us what we believe so that we can see that it is sound reason what we believe. But whatever the Holy Spirit is prompting this morning, will you stand and will you respond as the Spirit prompts?